Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, in today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to a woman in the middle who had the courage to pursue happiness at work and in life. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I'm so glad to be here with you again. I really am. I am freezing right now, I have to say, but I am happy to turn the mic on and be here with you. Okay, I had so much fun with today's guest, Nadina Kojikaru. First, she's a veterinarian, and I just love the opportunity to talk about animals with an expert. But Nadina's expertise is more than that. She basically helps pets and vets lose weight and be happier. Seriously, that is pretty interesting stuff, and I can't wait to dive in. But just quick, before we dive into this episode and you meet my amazing guest, I wanted to make sure you heard about the exciting new podcast that I'll be launching soon called Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs. So if you're a woman in the middle who's 50 plus and also an entrepreneur or business owner, this new podcast is especially for you. This show will be focused on what it's really like to run a business when you're over 50 and dealing with the classic midlife-related obstacles and challenges, things like taking care of your aging parents, empty nest, menopause, lack of self-care, and work-life balance, that sort of stuff, all the things. When all this stuff comes up, it can be harder to focus on your priorities if you even know what they are anymore. <laughs> you can start to worry that you'll have regrets because you're not fulfilled and you know you're meant for more. I'm interested in talking to all kinds of business owners too, from solopreneurs and small businesses to those of you who might even have employees, bricks and mortar businesses too. In fact, I really want to find guests who do a wide variety of things and not necessarily work with women our age. I want to make sure we interview entrepreneurs with, like I said, a wide variety of experiences. So if this sounds good, if you're interested in learning more about how to be a guest on the new show, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. There's lots more information there so you can see if you're a good fit for the show. Okay, let me introduce you to my amazing guest today. Her name is Dr. Nadina Kojikaru. Nadina is what she calls a vet coach, that is, a small animal veterinarian and a certified life and weight coach. Her story is fascinating and a little different, and quite frankly, full of lots of pretty big challenges. Growing up in communist Romania, Nadina went from not knowing where the next meal would come from to an abundance of food in the early 90s when communism fell. This kick-started her career as a professional dieter, all while trying to find her place in then a male-dominated profession. The shift around weight-related issues came for Nadina when she made the connection between her thoughts and feelings and learned how our brains work. She said goodbye to emotional eating and rediscovered the sparkles and the giggles in her relationship with her body, the food, and the vet profession. Nadina currently lives in Sweden, where she works as a small animal veterinarian and as a life coach. Through her life coaching, she's been able to help people from over 20 countries. Nadina provides the practical tools for vets just like herself to beat the burnout, the stress, and create a sustainable life that they love 
and she has a lot of fun while doing it too. Some pounds might even get lost in the process. <laughs> her deep passion for her patients, the animals, and how brains work ignited the idea for her latest training called Stop Emotionally Overfeeding the Pets. <laughs> the training will support dogs and cats owners in dealing with the emotional challenge of helping their beloved pets achieve their natural healthy weight too. Pretty interesting, right? I know you're going to love this interview, so enjoy. Hi, Nadina. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm so delighted to be here. I am delighted to be here, too. Um, I have always been fascinated by what you do, being a vet and then being a coach who works with veterinarians. And now today, uh, we're going to talk about how all of this stuff started to change for you and develop and to become more specifically what you love in your 40s in particular. So we're going to get into all of that. But what I saw uh, recently in your Facebook posts and stuff, as of course I follow you, um, that you're specifically addressing the topic of emotionally overfeeding your pets. When I saw that, I'm like, oh my God, we totally have to talk about that because yes. who is not guilty of that? <laughs> exactly. It's like so, everybody is guilty of that. <laughs> for sure. So we're going to get into that. But first, I want to hear a little bit about your personal story, your journey of, you know, really continuing to figure out what you love and following in that direction. So let's start with what wasn't going well for you. Why were you stuck? And actually, it's kind of how we ended up meeting each other. So <laughs> just mm -hmm. yes. go into that. Um, what was life like for you as a veterinarian and when you started to look a little bit deeper at other things you knew you needed in your life? Yes. So uh, first, I think my um, I haven't mentioned that uh, that much, but I think my real first middle life crisis was happening when I was uh, 25 years old. <laughs> you can't believe that. <laughs> I totally get it. What was happening? Because I was uh, at that point, I was uh, studying to become a human vet, and uh, I did. In Romania, you you are uh, the school system is like you are going through high school and then uh, after high school, four year of, of high school, then you are taking a big exam and go to university. So and in university is like six years for doctors to become doctors. So I was in my fourth year as a student and I was like, I cannot do this anymore. You I know, was for like, being a, a human doctor. Yes. <laughs> I don't think I knew that. Yes. <laughs> so I think I've realized uh, today that I haven't mentioned that because it was in my 20s, but I think that is my real midlife crisis because that brought a lot of shame, a lot of, uh, you know, stuckness. I was like uh, feeling that I'm drowning. That was my def de definitely that was my my biggest life crisis to, wow. to be able to say no, because I felt that I didn't belong there. Wow, wow. I that actually, was so good. Uh, I mean, so that, good that you noticed it. That's yes, what's good about it. It's not yes, good when yes. you're going, when you feel like you're drowning. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not, not good. Especially not in Romania where you are not supposed to fail when you are like, you know, uh, a 10 grade, uh, which is like a plus stu uh, student all the time and you are doing all the things right. And then suddenly <laughs> you are like, uh, I... I almost finished. I mean, I finished the fourth year and uh, I, I had just two years left. 
of the wow. men's school. And I was like, no, I am not wow. doing that. Well, uh, you know, so I, I dropped I think, from it. <laughs> I think today uh, they call that a quarter life crisis. And, you know, it certainly has so much in common with the classic, what, what most of us mean when we say midlife crisis, which mm-hmm. is really just checking in with your identity again, because yes. something's off and yes. it is painful. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to me that you had enough courage yes. <laughs> to connect with that and not ignore it. And yes. so also what that establishes is that you're smarty pants. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that was my problem, actually, because, uh, because I, I wanted to become a veterinarian, but in uh, Romania, it was easy to go to vet school. It was not so easy to go out of the vet school. That's another <laughs> story. But it was really easy. The, the exam subjects were not that complicated. And all the cool kids, all the smarty pants kids would go to med school, which involved like advanced physics, advanced biology, advanced organic chemistry, all advanced mathematics to be able to solve all those physics uh, problems and so on. So being the smarty pants <laughs> didn't serve me because I was like, I'm too smart to go there, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what? That is bringing something up for me. I remember I went to a really big high school mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was huge. And there were so, it was so rich with resources and opportunities. It had a planetarium. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. had a, like a whole um, like studio art wing. Mm-hmm. And I remember in grade nine, I was researching, you know, we have to do careers unit in grade nine. Mm-hmm. And I remember putting down uh, commercial art. Mm-hmm. And commercial art, I guess, evolved into graphic design, I mm-hmm. guess, like it was so long ago. And that was in <laughs> <Yes>. the 70s. <laughs> um, and I remember thinking, wow, I'm so fascinated. I'd always been fascinated with paper and printing and mm-hmm. calligraphy and letters. And I remember thinking that smart people, this is I, I can't believe this was a thought because obviously it's not true. Just what you're mm-hmm. also noticing mm-hmm. Um, that smart people don't do that, that I needed to do something more academic. Yes. It was so ridiculous. And, mm-hmm. you know, what has happened, which is, I have a feeling what happened with you, is that that haunted me. My yes. whole life, I was drawn to being more creative and to do more creative things. And yes. and boy, I had gone to such a great high school with so many opportunities. And mm-hmm. I never, I never until the last few years took a single art course. Mm-hmm. And that urge to be more creative was there my whole life. And so mm-hmm. I love that you pointed this out, that you noticed that you had a thought that that wasn't what you should be doing. Yes, yes. And I think um, I didn't know back then, but I felt a full body no. You know, every time I went to and entered a hospital or something, you know, like full body no, like my 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 hair, you know, all the like goosebumps all all over my spine i was like really rejecting it my my body was like i don't want to be here what are you doing you know? oh a full body no i love that again i'm not uh it's not fun to be in as much pain as you were in with the goosebumps and everything but, <laughs> but at least you noticed it your body was yes. screaming and you yes. noticed that can't be taken uh for granted no exactly it really can't yeah. 
So after that, I said, uh, okay, who can I share this with? And uh, the person that I shared it uh, with was was my husband. I, w- I married really young, so we celebrated our 25th uh, wedding anniversary <laughs> this year. Amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And um, and I said, like, I, I cannot do this. So I... Um, uh, I have to, I have to drop every, everything and then uh, to take the exam for the vet school. And they were not recognizing any courses. So I had to start from scratch. <laughs> so, okay, bring it on. <laughs> Wait, how old were you then? Uh, 25. I can't believe that they didn't recognize anything because I would no. imagine it's medicine no. and the course uh, stuff no. should be the same. <laughs> wow. So interesting. That's a hard no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it was no. Let's let's start with the, uh, from the beginning with the exam and everything. And I was like, okay, bring it on. <laughs> I can <laughs> I can do that. So of course uh, that felt like home for me, and uh, everything was uh, was so delightful. And I uh, I went in like the first, the highest grade, graduating top of my class, of course, because I was of like, yep, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> uh, so I love that I, you use the word delightful. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, that that is such a beautiful way to describe what you were noticing about how comfortable and happy mm-hmm. you were. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So it was, um, it was really, really amazing to become a, a vet and, uh, um, to deal with the, um, the animals. And it was, I think, then after after um, graduating, graduating top of my class, then the politics came in, in, uh, of course, uh, what do you mean? in Romania. Oh. Because um, even if I was, I, I was told repeatedly by my professors in, uh, or my, my, um, the, the assistant professors that were working with me, like, oh, my God, you are you are the best student that we met in like 20 years because you have that the- theoretical um, mindset. You know, you can, you can learn, you can study, you can, you can, you know, your books, <laughs> you are attached to your books and you know the content of your books, but uh, you can connect with the animals and you can actually, you are actually a great clinician and a great surgeon and everything. So that is so rare you know, to, uh, to witness in a student, because usually people are like, really high in theory, you know, really abstract notions, uh, reciting the books, but not with the practical uh, side, really dialed in, especially through throughout uh, med uh, vet school. But uh, they told me repeatedly that and yet, (laughs) at the end of the university, there was no place for me no teaching position for me, no PhD position for me, because I was, I wasn't somebody's daughter. I wasn't somebody's cousin. I wasn't oh. somebody's some, you know, um, wow. and that was really, really hurtful for me and um, really painful. So, um, and probably I had a big mouth <laughs> that <laughs> meaning <laughs> that I was not uh, um I was speaking my truth. And mm. uh, if something was off, because I was so smart <laughs> and because I know I knew that they can't make me fail, you know, I I spoke, you know, 
I I reversed. I I had a, f- a fight, uh, quote unquote fight, with uh, our physiology uh, professor because uh, um, they had uh, cor- they had like uh, grading our our exams, our written exams with multiple choice uh, type of questions, and I knew exactly that I I haven't done anything wrong in those. And then I got a grade that was not reflecting that. And I was like, your uh, correcting grade is wrong. <laughs> so, and they were like, are you insane? Are you going to to pick a fight with that professor? Like, yep, watch me. <laughs> wow. Where did this courage and boldness come from? Uh, I knew my shit. <laughs> Because you know? you've really done some scare, like you, yeah. you really had to do some stuff that required yes. a lot of courage. Yes. Uh, just in these, just in these couple of stories and that giant yes. decision you made to ditch medicine yes. and to start over. A lot of people would have said, forget it at that point, but you're like, exactly. bring yeah. it on, right? You're yes. like, nothing's getting in my way. And yes. you were pretty young yet. Yeah. What happens to a lot of people is that the mid, the quote, I'm doing air quotes that the yeah. midlife crisis doesn't always happen in midlife. And I typically Mm -hmm. see it with people who've had very intense careers or Mm -hmm. intense education, like exactly what you were doing in medicine or anything where it's like really immersive and really intense. It can bring on one of these um, wake up calls. Yeah. Jarring insight things uh, earlier. Or a really difficult childhood in communist Romania as Mm, as well. Right. Um, So, um, that might be also a reason why um, why I was able to to be courageous. Yeah. Um, when, yeah, when, oh, yeah. Yes. When when I was a kid, that that was a really vivid memory for me. I was uh, in kindergarten, garden, so uh, it was three and a half years old. I have really vivid memories of my uh, really young version of myself, and uh, I was really shy. And I was a bilingual because uh, my uh, grandparents from my maternal side were Russians. So I was, uh, I was raised by them. So I was bilingual. I was speaking fluently Russian at that point and uh, Romanian. And uh, um, I knew that we had a really mean kindergarten teacher and she was really punishing us. I mean, physically abusing and would be called today, you know, spanking wow. and uh, uh, punishing us and uh, really, really mean. And I refused to to talk to her because uh, I knew that I would be punished because I wouldn't pronounce the things correctly. And uh, I refused basically to, to interact with her. And she took my mother on the side when my mom picked me up and she, she told my mom that uh, I was... And I would quote her, called me uh, retarded. <laughs> that was the exact word that she used. And I'm, una- I'm unable to uh, speak. And uh, I am uh, challenged. So I belong to an institu- institution for kids that are retarded, which meant in communist Romania, if somebody recalls that like orphanages and uh, those institutions for kids were like all over the internet when Ceausescu died that meant being chained on the, on a bed uh, oh and my uh, God. 
not seeing the light of the day, basically. So I was, my mom was like freaked out because all the pieces were in in motion. You know, she reported to the Communist Party that that kid was not uh, where she's supposed to be. And my mom, I, I remember my mom was so terrified. She was like, what? crying, like, why aren't you speaking with her? You know, you cannot stop talking at home. What's, what's happening? And I was like, she's mean. <laughs> <laughs> like, my mouth is hanging on the floor as you're telling this story. So you had nerve as a small child. Yes. Wow. Yes. And then that, that was the point when in that small kid's head, I made the decision, retarded, watch me, bitch. That was literally what I was thinking. Wow. And from that moment on, you know, the nails in the palm of my hands, you know, like uh, being afraid and uh, feeling that that fear and do it anyhow, over and over again. And I learned to read and write by myself from my older brother's uh, books. And uh, I was supposed to to learn a poem for our winter um, celebration. And my mom went to, to stir in the pot while she was teaching me. And when she came back, I learned like, uh, I think like 10 more verse from, from that. Mm-hmm. And she was like, have you been rehearsing that with your grandpa? Like, no, I can't read that, <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh, what a story. What so a that story. Was, that was that was the moment when I became courageous, you know. <laughs> it's unbelievable that you can pinpoint it like that and what a powerful story. I can't even imagine the fear that your mother yes had and because she knew that wasn't you, but it felt it exactly. must have felt so out of control. And, and and she knew how how much she had to how many strings she had to pull to get me out of that institution wow. thing. But it, it went well. It, uh, it, was, it was okay. But it, it's still lingering if uh, that is so fascinating because I recall when I discovered coaching and I was in, uh, in Self-Coaching Scholars, you were my first one-on-one coach. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Uh, so we're going back to, what is that, 2017? Yes, Wow. And and then what was the first thing that you coached me on? My accent. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, that that is coming back again with a vengeance over and over again. That accent thing that, you know, not being able to speak perfectly. <laughs> wow. And so what was your biggest fear at that time when you reached out for coaching about your accent? Why was that coachable for you? Because um, I had this thought in my head that uh, if you speak with an accent or you you make grammar mistakes while you are speaking, people will believe you're stupid or you will be put away. So uh, you had to be perfect in order for people to accept you or or to, to be a life coach, which was not necessarily... A problem for me as a veterinarian because I moved to Sweden after that uh, flop with uh, not being accepting uh, accepted in uh, um, as a teaching position at at the university. I I just took a, a regular job uh, and I did my my things. At that point in Romania, 
uh, veterinary profession was a male-dominated profession, so I was like the black sheep. And for over a year, my boss, who is an amazing guy, an amazing, amazing, amazing guy, um, had to tell his clients that he was doing the surgeries, not me, because <gasps> he was the male and the women are not good surgeons. And for sure, that young one, the latest, you know, she, you know. Oh, <laughs> what year was that? That was in 2006, I think. Wow. So, you know, it's it's just fascinating. I mean, I know that you you have an immigrant story as well. That's yes, part of your yeah. story. And and I certainly don't understand the culture of the places that you've you live in that you've lived. Um, but that that this stuff about being a woman and being less talented, yeah. less capable was still very much a part of your story. Wow. Yes. Yes. So um after that, uh, a year went by and he was like, at some point he was like, this is getting ridiculous. You don't want me to do surgery on your dog. So she is doing all the surgeries, so just so you know. <laughs> so uh, it was it was not necessarily his fault, but that is that was really interesting. And, and this is um, a pattern that is seen in veterinary medicine still, uh, wow. where uh, the male doctors uh, get more... Uh, benefits they get bigger salaries they are looked up uh, you know in a different way and especially unfortunately by other women but that's another another story yeah wow okay so yeah. let's carry on with your journey because i could talk to you all day <laughs> so even with your accent i could talk to you all day because it doesn't yes, matter yeah. <laughs> isn't that fascinating susie <laughs> As so you can understand you ended, what I'm saying, that is I also understand completely. <laughs> so with um, self-coaching scholars, why did you join? Was that your first experience? If if you don't know, um, as a listener right now, self-coaching scholars is a is a program at the Life Coach School, which is where I trained. And I was um, one of the coaches in mm -hmm. life uh, right when it opened yes. um, back in 2017. And that's so yeah. that's where we met. But why were yes. you looking? Why were you looking for coaching? So uh, I think what brought me to coaching was uh, my weight journey, if I can define it like that, because I was never severely overweight, um, but I struggled with my weight my whole life. So uh, I was like the leanest in our family, but I was still struggling immensely with, uh, yes. with keeping the things in that way and, uh, you know, chasing the new diet and chasing the new thing. I, and I did all the things I, I was trying all the things. The only thing that I didn't try because that was like, that's bananas. I cannot live like that was to, to, to try those shakes. You know, you, you drink a shake for uh, lunch, you drink a shake for dinner. And that is like, no, we are not doing that. That is just <laughs> stupid. But, uh, but, uh, all the other things, you know, in uh, early 90s with uh, all, uh, all body image things with Kate Moss. And I'm tall. You know that I'm tall. You are very I'm, tall. <laughs> um, I'm five uh, feet nine. And uh, uh, I had the height, but I, uh, I was not like 90, 60, 90 type of, uh, of body. I was pretty normal human body, but not the top model. Uh, body. So I had all those body image like, oh, if you just can lose a little bit more weight, then you will be happy. 
We know yeah. all that thing. And uh, chasing those diets, I uh, I came across um, YouTube channel with uh, with um, healthy recipes, and uh, uh, the lady who was um, who is um, who is doing that uh, YouTube channel, and she has a, a website as well. She mentioned that she was a nutritionist and a life coach, and at some point she mentioned that she was trained by uh, Brooke Castillo. And I was like, what is that? What is life <laughs> coaching, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then I googled Brooke Castillo, and then I found the podcast. And uh, that moment, my life was like just, my brain was all over the place. I, I, I remember vividly what I was doing when I realized that thoughts create emotions. <laughs> it was summer, long summer night because Sweden. And <laughs> it was like 11 p.m. And I was by my pear tree. And <laughs> Brooke Castillo just said it in a way that resonated with me at that point. And my mind was like, what do you mean? Like thoughts create emotions and the way we think influence everything else in our lives. And everything clicked into place at that point because I always loved to be a vet. I always loved to work as a vet. I worked crazy shifts. I worked crazy hours. I was doing a lot of extra shifts and extra hours. Not recommended, but I was doing that. And all my colleagues were like, you will get burned out. You will get, uh, you will get sick. Uh, what is happening? And I was watching what is happening with them. And I was telling them, no, I don't think that it will happen. No, I don't think that it will happen because, uh, and I, but I couldn't understand why I was really sure that that is not something that will happen to me. And uh, when I discovered the lens that I was using to look at my life, and the lens they were using to look at the vet profession, they're like, oh, that's the difference because it's no, nothing different between me and you. But you are thinking all those negative thoughts and you are picking the circumstances are the same. The facts are the same. But the way I interpret everything is different and not in the silver lining kind of way, but really deeply um, choosing what is useful for me in this situation right now? What is useful for me to think about the situation that I, I look at right now? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, big difference. That, exactly. And at that point, I said, I, had, I have to share this type of mindset with my colleagues because it is a profession that is really, really intensely plagued or tortured by uh, a lot of depression, a lot of suicide ideation, a lot of suicidal thoughts, and a high, one of the highest rate of suicide from all the other professions in, uh, in, uh, in the Western world. And wow, that is yeah. definitely based on those. For, for the first, that is my theory, is we as veterinarians, we are, we are empathic people because uh, you cannot be a good vet if you are not resonating with the with the animal. You mm-hmm. have to you have to read, you know, quote unquote, read the animal and to read their behaviors and to connect with that animal. That that 
requires because they are not speaking by the way <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, that requires uh, a specific kind of person to be able to do that and um, you know um, those who are not that uh, that type of person those are um, are not that good vets that's that's for sure so um having that ability of empathy and uh, and connection with a pet um and the friction that can come in after the interaction with the pet owners mm. that creates um a big problem in this profession and uh i encourage everybody to just please pour some love on your vets because oh. they are amazing people <laughs> they are amazing people i you know as a long term permanent yes <laughs> like i've yeah, always permanent. had animals in my life and i yes. always will have animals in my life and some of the best and worst you know emotional situations with the animals have been shared with my vets yeah. and yes yeah oh, thank god for vets yes. um so as i can you know if as i'm looking at your life and your your transition to really leaning into work that you love two main things happened you found a career yes. uh, direction that was more in alignment with with your comfort and your excitement yes. yeah and also you found through your frustration with weight mm -hmm. you got insight into the magic of mindfulness yes and the possibility uh the possibilities and insights that can be created from coaching yeah and so those two things kind of gave you this epiphany that you could apply everything that you're learning about mindfulness to the careers of veterinarians. Yeah. And that's that's like a very creative way to think to apply this kind of stuff to this kind of problem. Yes. Yeah. And then that gave you some direction. So then what happened next? Yeah, so I I usually tell my clients uh, that uh, knowing what I know about our profession, uh, you know, they come for me, uh, to me for weight loss and uh and to help them with with their weight and uh i always tell them that i am so thankful for those extra kilograms or pounds on their bodies because if they didn't have other tools beside food and or booze alcohol to deal with their negative emotions and that was what kept them alive until now I'm so thankful for those extra pounds because mm. I rather have them alive and still functioning as veterinarians than to get out of the profession or out check out from this life entirely if they wouldn't use those to those tools. Yeah, that is such an important realization for them, yeah. I'm sure that they used coping. Yes. The way they were thinking about coping and dealing with stress Yes. As they were thinking about it was the worst thing ever. Like they're a failure mm -hmm. most likely, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. And saying, no, this is keeping you alive because this yeah. is difficult. This is difficult. And, um, and, um, that is the tool that you had at that point. Now it's time to learn new tools and to let go of some of them, some of the old tools. We are evolving. We are learning new tools all the time in, in that profession, uh, as well. So. Uh, so that that is um, what I offer them, and I want to offer everybody. Like, if you are overweight, it's um, it's okay. It's just a tool that you used until now to deal with stress or 
unwanted emotions. It's nothing to be ashamed of or be um, judgmental about, or it's just, it's just some fat tissue on your body. It's not, nothing, uh, nothing wrong with that. It's a perfectly normal functioning tissue on your body. It, it's, uh, it's just doing its job. So, uh, yeah, as I said, I think the fat tissue on, on human bodies is the most bullied <laughs> tissue <laughs> on the planet. The you know? poor tissue. <laughs> yes, it's like uh, you never heard about some somebody tell like, oh, I hate my liver because my liver is uh, uh, doesn't have the right color. No, <laughs> just because. <laughs> but we are doing that with our skin. We're doing that with uh, with our fat tissue, even if they are like perfectly normal functioning uh, tissues. So it's can uh, it's keeping it all together, literally. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> keeping everything together and uh, give us food if we are uh, needing that. So from this passion, you know, um, observing uh, uh, all those dynamics with food and emotions and and uh, seeing over and over again this trend in, in humans, in general, in pet owners, I recognize the pattern like, okay, <laughs> and that that is happening even with veterinarians and even with my veterinarian clients. Um, so they might learn those tools of dealing with emotions and um, they are still overfeeding their pets. So that's yes, was... let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening right now, raise your hand if you know <laughs> what it's like to overfeed your pet. I'm thinking back to my cat, the first cat that I had as an adult. Mm-hmm. I got my cat in grad school, he was a mm-hmm. fat orange tab. Well, he wasn't fat when I got him. He was a cute little kitten. Um, he was an orange tabby. His name mm-hmm. was Hundleby, affectionately named after my statistics professor. Um, mm-hmm. back then, whose daughter had a cat who had kittens and I adopted one of those kittens. Hundleby lived till 20. Mm-hmm. Three of those years, he did need IV fluids and some mm-hmm. things. He needed mm-hmm. some support, which my husband mm-hmm. married into and he mm-hmm. handled beautifully. Yeah. Um, but in the in his healthy, feisty years, he was fat. Mm-hmm. He was definitely fat. And mm-hmm. um, I suppose I'm guilty of that. And now I have a dog who's a picky eater. Nico is picky. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I'm complaining to the to the vet. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I feel like a Jewish mother. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't think he's eating enough. I think he's too thin. I think mm-hmm. we need to feed mm-hmm. him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And in that case, I'm usually right. He is a little mm-hmm. underweight. But, you know, he's a large breed, so mm-hmm. it's we need to really, really be careful. And so please tell us, what did you notice and why are we doing this? <laughs> so uh, I think that um, there, are, there are some important things to, to consider here. From my perspective as a veterinarian and, as I said, a, a weight, a weight loss coach, um, I think the first layer of that is all the, all the pet owners that are coming to the vet. Um, if we say some words like fluffy, let's say fluffy because fluffy is a, is a real, uh, pet. Fluffy was, um, 130 pounds Rottweiler. <laughs> strangely <laughs> enough. So fluffy existed uh, at some point. Uh, so. We say, oh, Fluffy is overweight. We need to lose, uh, we need to do something about that. And then we leave. You know, we drop the bomb and then we leave. <laughs> <laughs> and what happens, those are the circumstances. So 
what is usually happening uh, with human bodies is that we have that punch. We feel that punch in our gut if our vet is telling us those words because we think the thoughts, they shamed me, they shamed my pet, they are rude, they are obnoxious, how dare them, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And the thing is that that is a normal uh, response from our bodies because um, when we are triggered in that way, our brain will go into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response, stress response. So if we are in fight or flight, we will create the, those uh, anger, you know, or, uh, or uh, angry thoughts. And then if we are in freeze or fawn, which are also normal stress responses from our brains, we tend to go into shame. What happens in both situations is that we cannot take in the information that is uh, that is put out on the table. And that discussion with the pet owner is one of the one of the clinical exam or, or, or the appointments that take the longest time for me as a veterinarian and life coach to navigate because I am aware of how they might perceive what I am telling them. Why? Because human bodies were shamed and blamed since infancy. We have that internalized oppression and internalized fatism, that fat is bad always. And we don't want that to put that stigma on Fluffy's body as well, because we don't understand some some pet owners, even if they have severely ob- obese uh, pets, they really don't don't get it. You know, they don't. Uh, now they don't get it. They don't see it. You know, they genuinely don't see it. That uh, and uh, it it comes as a surprise for them. Mm-hmm. So you really have to read the pet owner and to choose the right words to know that their bodies might go into those stress responses and you have lost them totally because they they are not coming back they are they when people feel shamed they usually disconnect and they don't come back or they take it personally you know so you have to be really really careful how to put that knowing that human bodies have been shamed have been um um you know all the time considered less than or um or just lazy or whatever because they are overweight so um so you really open up a can of worms with this whole uh i'm just trying to help you and your pet your cat mm-hmm. or dog mm-hmm. needs to lose a few pounds and mm-hmm. it, the, the can of worms is very much opened at that point exactly mm-hmm. yes and another layer is that we love our pets unconditionally. Absolutely. And they love us unconditionally. Yeah. They might be the only being on this planet who does that. Yeah. That includes parents, kids, whatever. So I even have an exercise that is based in brain science and neuroscience and uh, mirroring neurons and, you know, neuroplasticity with my clients, my weight loss clients, how to change your body image. And that involves looking at your pet or your pet's body. And then imagine that you are your pet 
and look at your body from your pet's perspective, and they don't care about your rolls or or the fat tissue on your body. They, they don't care. They so don't care. Oh my yes. God. They just yes. love us. It's so, and then just, so easy to imagine know, to, that. Yes. To float into that and to see your body from their perspective, you know, over and over again, just do this exercise over and over again. Uh, by looking at yourself in the mirror, just to shift your your perspective about your body. Um, and as I said, we don't want our pets to 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 suffer. And that is another really insidious thought error, you know, that I discovered even even if in my uh, weight loss clients because we think the thought <laughs> uh, at least they can have whatever they want. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, so you don't. <laughs> or <laughs> what are your thoughts about your food? You know, yeah. what are your thoughts about what you have to, <laughs> in, in quotes, eat, to eat, you know? You know, how we believe that weight loss means restriction. Yes. And the diet industry, I, I was like PhD in diets. <laughs> I think <laughs> uh, for me, for sure. And we believe that the only way to lose weight is through severe hunger <laughs> and to be deprived and to be restricted and to eat two molecules of uh, kale and some <laughs> water, you know, <laughs> which is not the case. Um, but uh, and not that there's anything wrong with kale. But, no, I love yeah. that, by the way. I adore <laughs> kale. So it's <laughs> nothing wrong with kale. <laughs> so, um, um, they project that that idea that uh, the pets are suffering if they can't get all the food, but if they are gaining weight, their bodies receive too much nutrition compared with their needs. That is, it's as simple as that. Exactly. No, when nothing you, wrong with that. You when know, when you don't add all this extra thought to it, when you don't interpret it. Or yes. project, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm also thinking back. I, I think I'm pretty sure I shared this with you before that my master's thesis was on the relationship between children and their pet dogs. And I remember one of the findings I was talking to 12 year olds mm-hmm. um, and specifically around the dinner table, because I had a memory of sitting around the dinner table. We had these high backed vinyl chairs. So there was vinyl cushion and a vinyl, mm-hmm. a high back vinyl chair. Mm-hmm. And there was a space in between the cushion and mm-hmm. the back of the chair. And mm-hmm. I would shove any disgusting vegetable, in particular <laughs> lima beans. Um, if they were really gross, I would just take <laughs> them and hide them in the cushion of the chair. If it wasn't something gross, or sometimes it was less gross, but I still mm-hmm. deemed it to be gross. And the dog was sitting there. I would absolutely slide it off my plate and give it to the dog. And the thought was, I want my dog to feel included exactly. as an equal, exactly. as an equal. And exactly. at that time, we bred St. Bernard. So it was mm-hmm. uh, a 200 plus pound Mr. Jack. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had, we had tons of dogs over the years. There was Duke mm-hmm. and Fluffy and Brandy and mm-hmm. oh my gosh, so many. Mm-hmm. Um, and I fed them all. And uh, most of the time, things I didn't like, but not only things I didn't like, Mm -hmm. because the back of the chair was where that stuff went. And then I would see my mom on the back patio 
hosing down the chairs on occasion. <laughs> mm-hmm. She knew what was going on. Um, but yeah, so even as a young child, we, we love our pets and we think mm-hmm. about them. There's a lot of anthropomorphizing going on with these yes. pets. Lots yes. of it. I, yes. And we tend um, to overhumanize our pets. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they are brilliant. Come they, on. They are brilliant. They are brilliant. They, but they are training us a lot. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> they, they don't have any other job than training us, you know, <laughs> or to learn how to trigger our responses. They are dogs, especially, are really. Um, so dogs are the most empathic uh, beings. Uh, they made studies. They can, they can read our emotions. They can mimic our emotions. Not, wow. uh, yeah, not creating by sophisticated, sophisticated, uh, uh, thoughts, but, uh, they have a lot of mirror neurons that, that can mirror our mental state. So my head's uh, exploding. That's, um, yes. that's unbelievable. Yes. So if you believe, for instance, about the dog's food that is disgusting or is not enough, or they will read that. <laughs> they will feel those emotions, by the way, <laughs> in their bodies through you. Wow. So it's, it's quite fascinating to, to see they are like a mirror for, for ourselves and for our, our internalized um, way of thinking or, or mindset. So, um, um, that's huge. It's, I think it's so important to understand as pet owners that um, dogs have not only, you know, they depend on us and we have to provide them the tools or the, or the possibility to exert their natural healthy behaviors, which include food and sleep, but not only that, people. So... They need to to run freely under supervision. They need to walk. They need to interact with other pets or other animals, other dogs, and other humans to play, to play by themselves, to play with other uh, animals, to play with other with humans in general, because that is a rich dog life. It's mm. not only about food and sleep. Mm, and such uh, a good reminder. You know what? I've got the cutest thing going on with Nico right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a little parrot, Dee Dee. Mm-hmm. And Dee Dee, um, well, she's persnickety, but <laughs> she talks a lot. She's very cute. And Nico's very interested in her. So I will see sometimes on his own, he just comes over to her cage and seeks her out. He's seeking out interspecies communication with Dee yes, Dee. sure. Yes. And she comes down and they're having some kind of something going on yes. between them with his yep. massive head and her little wee body. She's Quaker yep. parrot. Yep. It's so cute. And he is seeking her out and yes. she doesn't like everybody. Mm-hmm. She likes me. She likes mm-hmm. one of my sons. Mm-hmm. She used to like my husband, but I don't think she likes him anymore. <laughs> and so, and she likes Nico. Mm-hmm. It's so yes. interesting. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's uh that is really important about thinking about the breadth of of what helps a dog be yes. its best self, basically, yes. right? And and live a happy life. That doesn't mean that they need that food. If if they it's it's like data. Let's go back to data and take 
take uh, take off that uh, that black judge robe and put on the you know the medical white coat yeah uh, the doctor brain and think about data if the data is telling us that fluffy gained weight and the uh, the vet is telling us that his body condition score which is uh, uh, some uh, some uh, scoring according to the shape of their bodies which is quite amazing compared with humans we not go we don't go there right now <laughs> no, we just don't. the bmi but the body condition score for dogs especially it's adapted to their breed so you cannot assess a whippet from a, a new found new feed uh, body condition score because that right. is like um, not possible so Uh, those are like from one, which is really emaciated, really, really thin, um, and to nine. So the normal is between four and five. And if your if your vet is telling you like, okay, Fluffy is at six point uh, five or seven in body condition score from nine, then and we have to to lose some weight, we have to do something about it. It's, it's, it's just data. Is not is no judgment in that and. Uh, they are creature of habit, and they learn our habits. Uh, think about Pavlov's dogs. Mm-hmm. How you know that uh, conditioned reflex was created with the bell that re- uh, and the 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 food. So they will learn. They are so smart that they will learn the new routines if you are consistent with with your behavior and not encouraging. Uh, the behaviors that um, um, that created that overweight, and be open to the idea that is, um, as in weight loss, that it's not a cookie cutter um, uh, formula. You know, um, each dog or each cat are individuals, and they need their own their own amount of food or kind of food that your veterinarian will recommend for sure and then you can play with that um and uh, give them more more activities give them more mm. stimulation in other ways you can give them i usually tell my my pet owners um you know you weigh the food that they are supposed to receive it doesn't matter if it's um dry food or wet food there is a study that was made uh, in uh, scandinavia so we have we have to weigh the food otherwise the percentage of error is too much so weigh the food daily or weigh weigh the food for one week or for one month and then you have that uh, that ziploc bag with the amount of food right and everything that when that goes into fluffy's mouth except for water comes from that bag you know and that's yep. it that's, and then yeah. reassess and reevaluate and you are allowed to give them a lot of kisses and a lot of hugs if they are uh, open to that not all cats or all dogs are <laughs> right. open to that but um uh, you can interact with them you you can give them a lot of stimulation a lot of playfulness and uh, you will for sure prolong their lives and they will live a happier life than um, than just uh, overfeeding them so well- And you know, in the, in the yeah. midlife space too, it's such a big deal because I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. This, there's a concept, empty nest pets. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. It is definitely yes. a thing. So yes. when, when the kids move out, mm-hmm. 
we love to love. And if they're yes. not available for, you know, mm-hmm. active, I'm not yes. saying that we don't love our kids when we're gone. Of course we do, but they're not like in the house. Mm-hmm. They're not receiving it in the house. Yes. And we're not, we are not receiving the unconditional love. Yes, um, the pets yep. become such an important part of yep. so yes. many midlife women's lives. And of course, the research is there to show how important it can be. Yes, yes. And so it's so easy to load on the food the same way Mm -hmm. we do when the kids come home. What do we do? Mm -hmm. We make them all their favorite foods. We make sure Mm -hmm. that they leave with their favorite foods. Mm -hmm. I mean, my kid's grandmother is doing the same thing. She's loading up the favorite foods, loading up the Mm -hmm. freezer. When's that kid coming home? They have, they're traveling on trains with Mm -hmm. giant cooler bags. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they love it. Yeah. And they love it. Yeah. So it's really, I'm so glad that you spoke about it because, um, and just to raise awareness that when your vet tells you that your dog or cat needs to lose a little weight, it's not about you in the way mm-hmm. you might be thinking. It exactly. is about you in terms of you're the one deciding on the yes. amount of food and the type of food and, and the mm-hmm. timing of the food. But yes. it doesn't need to be about you the way you might be thinking if you didn't yes. have this new awareness. And I, I also um, mentioned that because it's important. I always take in the whole family mm. that is responsible for feeding the dog or the cat. Exactly. Sometimes they are coming without the dog or the cat. Um, just to have an honest conversation, an open hearted, you know, um, human to human conversation, because that is hard. We know it's hard to lose weight and to maintain the weight, the weight loss after losing it. So that is an important and um, conversation to have uh, with the whole family, because it doesn't matter if, if uh, the dog's mom is coming and she's on board with that. If uh, the dog's daddy is feeding cookies, uh, feeding the cookies to the dog, or, or if there are kids involved or uh, what happens is like the grandma or the grandpa uh, more exactly. uh, uh, are feeding, overfeeding them or the the neighbor who is taking care of them during the day if you are at work or whatever. It's uh, There are a lot of people involved. And I think that an honest conversation with that family involves being open to the idea that that is a, a family project. It's not yeah. just on one person yes. and to have solutions even for grandma, grandpa or the neighbor, because you won't make them change their minds if they want to, you know, the afternoon tea. If Fluffy gets a cookie at the afternoon tea, you they will still sneak that cookie, you know. So absolutely, it, it's good to take into consideration the cookie if if it's really a cookie <laughs> and to to cut off uh, of of their foods which is not ideal but um or to just give them some of fluffy's food to offer them at the afternoon tea as oh a that's so good yeah exactly that's so good because and, they and- don't care <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So, it, you know, just to, to finish things off here, I, um, I just love what you had to say. And I know that, uh, I've seen this in some of your Facebook posts. The way you talk about what you're helping other veterinarians do is to help them find their sparkles. Yes. Just talk to me briefly about what that means to you. <laughs> so, um, uh, I think, um, that idea came, um, to me because um, I consider myself pretty sparkly myself. So uh, um, 
I um, and I learned that about myself. I even call myself intermittently sparkly because <laughs> <laughs> I love that because um, I watched the way I function, or you know, and I. I am uh, really good with uh, with creating content or being, you know, uh, online and doing things. And then I need time to recharge and to re uh, reconnect with uh, with my uh, my intuition, with my uh, with my femininity. It's it's not that linear type of um, of marketing or or the you know the the way I uh, I see it online and i accepted that about myself so i have those bursts of energy and then i retreat and recharge my sparkles so um uh, i love using emojis i love using uh, gifs or gifs or whatever However i do you my say own it. gifs who knows <laughs> who knows exactly <laughs> i i started to do my own gifs so it's it's so amazing i i love to have fun and i i love to um connect with veterinarians that um lost that spark you know in their yeah. lives and what i mean is that um when they when they come uh to me and the, they learn those tools they are pretty sparkly or creative persons as well mm-hmm. some of them start to re- to write books some of them are painting some of them are creating like amazing like uh projects and they're really artistic persons and all that spark was dulled by by those mindsets that were uh, on repeat uh especially about their worth their bodies their yeah. abilities as vets so um that's that resonated with a lot of uh, of my vets like okay you used to be sparkly at some point and now your sparkles are dull. So let's yeah. let's get your sparkles back. And they immediately understand what I mean. Yeah, um, I do too. That I do get that. So overall, your journey, as you've mentioned, is to connect with the humans to help the pets feel better and lose some pounds from their bodies in the process. So you're all about helping everybody lose some weight, <laughs> the vets yes. and yep. the pets in their practice. And I want to make sure that we say specifically where people can get your new resource, Stop Emotionally Overfeeding the Pets. Where can we find that? So uh, they can find it on my website is www.vetcoachinternational.com or to connect with me, I am at Vetcoach International all over the place or at Nadina Kojokaru uh, on Facebook and Instagram. So um, the the resources there, the training with the videos, with a worksheet that you can you can plug in the pet's weight, and then it will calculate how much weight are they allowed to lose per week. So it's uh, it's uh, it's really easy to uh, to help your pet. Actually. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> that's amazing! And of course, I'll have all the links in the summary notes. Nadina, thank you so much for joining us today on The Women in the Middle. You had so much great information here. And there's really just a lot of insight about some pet related topics that we may not have been aware of. Yes. Thank you so much for for having me. It was it was a a blessing to, to connect with you. You're the best. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this episode. What an amazing story, right? You really can't take courage or happiness for granted. I was absolutely fascinated about how Nadina reflected back 
to being a young child and making a decision like she did to be courageous no matter what. She had to be courageous to pursue happiness. It really makes you think about when you've been courageous and when you haven't been courageous. And going forward, how confident are you that you would pursue happiness with serious conviction? Then there's that whole weight loss topic and overfeeding your pets and the intersection of all of that. I wonder if you've been known to overfeed your pets at times, and if so, what you can take away from today's experience with the interview. If you want to learn more, just go to the show notes and get the link to Nadina's new training, Stop Emotionally Overfeeding the Pets. What can I say? I love bringing amazing women with a wide variety of experiences and expertise to the podcast for you to meet. Nadina is definitely the queen of her brain domain. All right. So as you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. And mindfulness really is the key ingredient to regret-proofing your life. This is how you put you on the agenda. It's how you embrace becoming more responsible for your emotional well-being. It's how you get clarity again for what you actually want so you don't have regrets. It's how you become more intentional about the way you use your valuable time on this planet. As you know, my focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and excited about your life again. Like I said, the path forward is always to learn to think on purpose and take it one tiny but thoughtful step at a time. So ask yourself, are you ready to do this? Because if you are, I'm all in to help you do it. Seriously, if you're ready to change your life, and learn the skills to unstick yourself with some masterful coaching, a top-notch curriculum, an infusion of creativity, and a warm, fun, and awesome community of like-minded women, let's talk about it. I would love to be able to help you get unstuck and create your own blueprint for happiness. You can absolutely be more fulfilled than ever before. So email me your questions and let's talk about it. Go ahead and book your momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. For show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 289. And if you're interested in applying to be a guest of my new upcoming podcast, Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week. Okay.